Engaging Leader, episode 86, The Six Principles or C's of Workforce Health Engagement, featuring our own Terry Sherwood. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. This episode is about workforce health engagement. And I'm excited to announce that along with this episode, we are launching an all-new podcast series with episodes that go into more detail on the topic. Now, first of all, what is workforce health engagement? We define it as improving the knowledge, decision-making, and behaviors of the workforce, including employees, their families, and organizational leaders. Why? To optimize health outcomes, control medical costs, and enhance workplace productivity. It's a hot topic that pretty much all employers are concerned about these days because healthcare costs continue to rise so rapidly and consume an ever larger portion of company budgets. At the same time, you have employee trust and engagement dwindling. You have actual uh, health, more health problems than ever before. For example, an obesity epidemic. And some companies are finding ways to both manage those healthcare costs so they either hopefully stay flat or just rise in line with inflation, not uh, a whole lot higher than inflation like at most companies right now. But even, even more than that, doing, engaging correctly in workforce health strategies can actually improve employee engagement and productivity and trust and management and recruitment and safety. It impacts a lot of different areas. So the good news, if you'd like a show dedicated to exploring strategies to improve your employees' health and productivity and to protect your bottom line, you'll want to check out our new Workforce Health Engagement Podcast. It's a show for CEOs, HR executives, and other business leaders about the latest trends in areas such as population health management, health consumerism, benefit plan design, resources and coaching, and finally, branding, education, and communication. And if you don't care about health engagement, the good news for this Engaging Leader podcast is we're going to talk about it here in episode 86, and then next time we'll move on to other ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. In fact, in episode 87, we're going to radically improve your presentations by learning three secrets from the best TED Talks. So here in episode 86, let's talk about workforce health engagement. And then if you want to know more, you can find the whole podcast series, Workforce Health Engagement, in iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. First off, according to recent studies, the typical wellness or other workforce health program produces only minimal improvement in long-term employee health and in healthcare costs. But as I mentioned, some employers have achieved significant improvement in both their health metrics and their costs, as well as improved employee engagement and trust and productivity and recruitment and safety performance. Now, one of the key factors to success is whether it's simply HR's program of the day or an authentic component 
of your corporate culture. The key to an integrated approach is to follow the six principles, or what we call the C's, of workforce health engagement. To help me explain the six C's, I'm pleased to welcome Terry Sherwood, my longtime friend and colleague with Aspendale Communications. Terry, welcome to Engaging Leader. Thanks, Jesse. It's great to be here. To illustrate the six C's, Terry and I thought we'd share the story of one of our longtime clients. If we go back in time about seven or eight years to when this large employer asked a consulting epidemiologist to analyze their workforce data, and they found that they had one big area that was their low-hanging fruit that they could go after, and that was the area of cardiovascular disease, that heart attacks, number one, was, was a, a huge expense for them, as well as strokes and diabetes, that they had a, a lot of hospitalization related to those, and yet in the data, they were seeing very little early-stage interventions. So they they had a lot of undiagnosed cases out there. And if they could identify those cases earlier, they could avoid a lot of the heartache and cost. So they started to formulate a strategy. While they were evaluating, evaluating awaiting the data, the epidemiologists discovered that one of their locations in particular had a lot better numbers than anywhere else. They digged into it or dug into it, whatever the right verb is there, (laughs) and discovered that that was one of their locations that had an on-site nurse. They they happened to have three locations that had on-site nurses, but two of them were pretty, it had been implemented only in the last few years. This on-site nurse had already been there like 20 years. And then of their other 10 locations, they didn't have any on-site care. And so this location had this on-site nurse for a long time. And more than just that, when they dug into what it was going on on the ground there, they found that Nurse Sarah had developed very strong relationships with the employees, had created a, a huge amount of trust. And so when she told them, hey, your numbers don't look good, you need to do something about it, she was kind of like their mother and they did what she said most of the time. That's right. So (laughs) that was some of the early data that led to what has become their overall healthcare strategy. And and of course they had been pulling different levers for years, but in in sort of the new modern approach that, that they have been taking over the last several years, that kicked it off. And they got us involved right in the beginning because they wanted to take that pocket of excellence that they had found that Nurse Sarah was doing. They wanted to focus it on the areas of cardiovascular disease, which was their sort of low-hanging fruit, and they wanted to scale that across the organization. They had some big problems. Key was that that a lot of their locations were in very very rural areas and um, was very much a male-oriented male-dominated workforce. And what that all means is that these guys didn't care about health. It was not a big priority. And health was healthcare is not accessible. Uh, it's not convenient. And it's almost was looked down upon. Like you were maybe weak or a sissy if you worried about your health or you went to the doctor. Is that, am I kind of describing the situation well? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Sissy was the word I, I thought of. I don't think that's too strong. It was definitely, definitely, yeah, definitely true. 
So the first of the six C's that we needed to address in the in implementing this new strategy was context, and context is all about the why, wouldn't you say, Terry? Yeah, I think so. The why and the what. You know, what's this really all about? What what are, what are you talking about, and why are you talking to me about this? And you know, as you said, that in that male dominated culture in a, a rural area, that was that was a bit of an uphill. Battle, so we had to um, we had to get a little creative. If if these guys don't care about taking care of themselves for reasons that maybe the average American might, um, what would they care about? And we first of all branded the program. And, and Jesse, this was I think this was really your baby. So maybe you could talk a, l- a little bit about the uh, the beginnings of the Built to Last brand, which which continues today. Um, and I have some specific thoughts around the, the focus on family, but why don't we start with the Built to Last brand and, and you can set that up. Well, a key to setting the context, which is this C, is figuring out what your overall message or theme is that's going to tie everything together. And taking a big cue from the marketing world, which is creating a brand, something that speaks that theme that integrates everything together. And the overall theme for this campaign had to be different than normal healthcare communications with flowers and hearts and, and uh, pinkness and, and other <laughs> images that could be uh, interpreted as, as a, a form of sissiness. And instead, we appealed to what was more of an underlying motivator for these guys, these employees, which was that they, they wanted to be strong and they saw themselves as providers for their families. And so the overall sort of the, the felt need was being strong and tough. And we, cre- we created this brand built to last. And that sort of rugged pickup truck tough mentality is exactly what we were going after. That you can't, you won't be there to provide for your family if you're not strong and you're not going to be, and you're not going to last. And and being strong and tough and lasting starts from the inside. That you you got to be tough to the core, if you will. So we painted that picture, and then from a visual perspective, all of the materials. Were, were more rugged and tough-like and created the, the, the idea that just like you take care of your pickup truck or you take care of your tools with preventative maintenance, that you need to take care, you need to do a certain amount of work to take care of yourself and your body because that's the only thing you have ultimately to provide for your family. And so it was the, the, the sort of subtitle to a lot of the communications was, yes, we're talking about health, but it's about better health for those you love. It's not so much that they weren't motivated by, hey, do this so you can feel, so you can be healthier. It was, this is better health for the people that you love. Right. And, and as Jesse, as you said, men, most of our communications were very rugged, you know, very male oriented. But um, in a lot of cases, we would balance those images with much softer family images to um, remind them of who they're taking care of themselves for. So lots of images of families and children. And that really hit home because if there's anything that those guys care about, it, it's their families. And, and that is one of, the, one of the ways we found that to motivate them to actually make changes. 
So that C is context, and that's all about why. The second C is credibility, and that's all about trustworthiness. So when you're implementing any of these components of workforce health engagement, you have to think about, do will employees trust you for implementing this? Will they, will they trust you as an employer? And will they trust the specific spokesperson who is introducing this change or this program or, or who is the symbol for this program? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, credibility, you know, there a lot of things contribute to credibility. Sometimes it's the person that you're hearing from, but a lot of it really is just wrapped up in using everyday believable language, not not using corporate speak, not using uh, difficult medical and wellness terminology, but but meeting people where they are and speaking to them in a language that they can understand and and they feel respected. Uh, with and and another piece of it, I think, is is making the business case. You know, it's tempting to just position, particularly the wellness portion of your program, as you know, this is just about you know doing the right thing for you, and it is. But um, it's a stretch to ask people to believe that there's there's nothing in it for the company, and and there's nothing wrong, at least in our opinion, in admitting that there there is a business case for this. There is a benefit to the company in helping manage costs long-term and making sure that their healthcare dollars are being spent uh, as wisely as possible, not overspending when it's not necessary. So, you know, there's a lot wrapped up in, in making sure your message and your program is credible. And I think it requires taking a long-term view of the trustworthiness of your spokesperson from the employee's perspective. I, I can remember writing a speech one time for a CEO of a Fortune 500 manufacturer. And I had written several speeches for him. And one time, though, the senior vice president of human resources was reviewing the first draft of the speech. And he said, you know, this thing that we're putting in the mouth of the CEO, that we're asking him to say uh, on behalf of the company, we got to be really careful about what he says here and how he says it and if he's even the right person to say that because if it doesn't ring 100% true with employees and we hurt his trust, boy, that's going to take a long time to get back. So you just have to be really careful about that. And in in the company that we're talking about here with this story over the last several years, they have made a point to to, they hired a, a medical director that is both the the driver of the overall healthcare strategy, but also he he's the symbol of it. He's the spokesperson, and a lot of the, the basically the buck stops with him. And so the company has been very careful about leaning on him, using his trust capital to get some message across to employees. So the company is a lot more likely to ask Dr. Wells. Okay, uh, we'd like you this year to to make this a big point that you're trying to make, and of course, they wouldn't. He's not going to say anything he doesn't agree with. So, so they hash out whether or not he even agrees with it. But there there are certain messages that the vice president of of uh, health and, and human resources will say. No, I'm just going to have to be the one to to send this message. Uh, because I, I just don't want people to ever, this is bad news in a way. This is, we're, we're telling, this particular change we're making is uh, restricting employees in certain ways. And I, I just don't want Dr. Wells to have to bear that 
message. I want people to trust him and know that he always has their best interest in mind, especially their best health in mind. So that's just very important to worry about the long-term trustworthiness of the spokesperson that we're using. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, you know, not all not all companies are going to have a Dr. Wells. He's he's a bit of a unique situation, but I think there there are um, that, the, that the lessons still apply. And, for example, it's not unusual to have the uh, director of benefits or an, or a high ranking HR uh, executive be sort of the face of the wellness program or or if you have an on-site fitness center having the the person who runs those uh those fitness centers be the face whoever it is um they need to be they need to really be positioned as an employee advocate um even if there's bad news but you you want to kind of keep them above the fray and, and keep them focused on doing what's best um for the employees um, I think we've also seen a real um, move toward uh, integrating the safety and HR folks uh, in in the name of wellness and safety as kind of an integrated health management initiative and seeing those lines blurred. Um, we're seeing a lot more uh, tandem messaging and integrated messaging because the issues because the issues cross over. Um, for example, we we work with a, a manufacturing client that, uh, as part of the wellness program, preaches a lot about um, stopping tobacco use, going smoke-free, and um, all of their office locations are already tobacco-free, but it's it's a much dif- more difficult um, effort to make a manufacturing facility be smoke-free. It's not as easy for, for the employees, for example, to leave, you know, quickly leave the office building and, uh, and have a smoke. Um, it's a, it's a, a, a bit more of a commitment to quit using tobacco, and and they're doing it, and it's a it's a tandem HR and safety initiative. Yeah, and when there is that consistency uh, among different parts of the organization, that adds to the credibility and the trustworthiness of the leaders of the organization. So, that second C is credibility. The third C is caring which is all about well-being. And it's making sure you are answering the question when an employee asks, do you care about me as a person? Is my health and my family and my job satisfaction a priority for you? Or in other words, do I believe you really have my best interests at heart? Yeah, I think a good example of that, the the company that we've been talking about, um, they made a decision a few years ago. They, the, the data that they have been analyzing indicated that a lot of their employees uh, in rural areas were going to local rural, rural docks and hospitals uh, if they broke a bone or even had a serious condition like a heart attack. Uh, and a lot of those providers and facilities did not have great track records, and the patients ended up having to go back numerous times for follow-up care, and you know, and oftentimes had really bad outcomes. So, um, so the client ended up changing their plan design uh, in a big way to really drive people to centers of excellence for certain kinds of care, um, and that can be perceived as negative um, and, and, you know, it requires some travel time and they weren't going to get reimbursed at the same level as they're used to for, for the local uh, docs and hospitals. Um, but we launched a campaign to explain that change and focused on getting fixed right the first time. Um, so, yeah, when, an, when a patient has to go back numerous times for the same condition to try to get it fixed right, it does cost the company more money than it should in healthcare costs. But more importantly, it, it's a burden on the patient and it's not good for their health 
to go back over and over again. So we really focused on this is this is to get you the care you ought to get the first time. And to do that, we're going to send you to the very best docs and the very best hospitals for that condition. Um, and, and I think that that theme worked. I think that um, that message got across and uh, and and people, you know, there are a lot of a lot of stories out of the company that people really appreciated letters written and follow up that that it was a, it ended up being a really great thing. And it could have been a negative because let's face it, we were asking people to use a narrow network of providers, and the reimbursement, the the, the benefits were going to be different if depending on whether you did what we were asking you to do as far as which providers to go to, and it helped that the employees did trust Dr. Wells and the local on-site practitioners that had by that point been implemented at, at, at all the locations. This had been, it was a few years into the program and we had, as part of the strategy, we had made it personal. We had not, it wasn't just the, the company, uh, faceless entities at the company that were communicating these concepts, we had essentially made Dr. Wells into a rock star. That was part of our strategy. Let's make him a rock star. And then let's help the local nurse practitioners and nurses ride on his coattails. So they were the local champions. And we built up their credibility and their uh, reputation uh, uh, across the company. And so when the decision was communicated, look, we are going to be focusing on this narrow network and and here's why. And, we, and we're, it's all about getting fixed right the first time. They trusted that these were selected for a good reason. And so when my local nurse practitioner tells me, mm, no, I don't want you to go to the local hospital here. I want you to, to go over to this hospital even though it's a two-hour drive or a four-hour drive or you got to get on a plane to go to it because your situation is very complex they they trusted th- those decisions yeah and now it really is just a part of their culture they're used to going to those uh, centers of excellence for for certain treatment and and it's seen as a benefit as as opposed to a burden so that's caring which is all about well-being and and making sure that employees feel that you really care about them as an individual the fourth C is connecting, which is all about emotional. Are you connecting with what re- what the employees really care about? Are you connecting not just to their brain and their lo- and logic, but are you connecting with their gut and their heart? And as we communications like communication consultants like to say, let's remember the WIFM or what what's in it for me, because that's what yeah. people ultimately are, are looking for. <laughs> And uh, Terry, one of our favorite ways to get, make that emotional connection with people is through the use of stories. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly, we we were thinking the same thing. That's exactly what I was thinking. We've talked a little bit about appealing to, in in the male dominated culture as an example, um, you know, their sort of sense of manliness and and being the provider and protector for their families. But, you know, one of the most powerful ways to get people's attention and make them think particularly that they can do something that's difficult to do is to share stories of people who've already done it. Um, and we do that a lot in this in this space. Um, and the the example company that we're talking about today, um, we have highlighted, oh gosh, must be we must be up to fifteen or twenty mm-hmm. um, different employees who have made, 
very, very significant changes. Um, you know, they, they've come in for their annual screenings and, and found out that either their blood pressure or their cholesterol or, or maybe multiple uh, health measurements were not good. And they were coached and encouraged by their, their local health providers, their, their health coaches, to make improvements. And over time, uh, many of them have made significant life changes, lost a lot of weight, brought their numbers back into line. And we share those stories. We share their pictures. We share their stories on posters and uh, in newsletters that go to homes and in lots of different Forum, so everybody hears about them, and I, I guess we've made some of them rock stars as well. They've, uh, you know, they've they've made it into so many communications, but they're they're hugely popular and they're hugely motivational. We've also uh, included stories of people who caught uh, caught an illness early, so that it could be treated and handled. A you know, a good example is a, a female who went to the company free mammogram event. Um, and uh, found early breast cancer, and it was treated early, and she's doing great and back to work. And it, it's been a hugely powerful story, I think, uh, for for both the employees and for the spouses. We we made sure that one made it home in a couple of different vehicles. And I, I think there's really nothing quite as powerful as, as a good real-life story. Now, industry-wide, I think the number one way that most company, large companies these days are trying to make this connecting principle happen is through the use of incentives, which is especially based on, built on the field of behavioral economics and trying to find different monetary or financial incentives, either a carrot or stick. And in fact, uh, a 2013 survey by Aon Hewitt says that uh, nearly seven out of ten employers deploy some form of incentive to inspire behavior change. So that that's sort of the conventional wisdom, and I have seen it very effective. I have a large client that just recently required uh, health risk assessments for the first time. Actual biometric screenings didn't re- require them, but it was the first time they implemented a, kind of a carrot and stick approach, and they hit ninety-seven percent participation in the very first year. So it can be very uh, successful, but it, it, it's, is it, I think the jury's still out as to whether it's the best because it's also expensive. Yeah, I think the research um, to date, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's evolving, but I think the research to date shows incentives as being um, pretty effective for short-term behavior. So if you're trying to drive people, as you said, to get their annual health screening, you know, it's sort of a point-in-time decision, and incentive can be hugely effective. Um, where the jury is still out, I think, is on how effective incentives are for long-term behavior change. So, for example, to make me lose weight or to eat better or to exercise regularly, do incentives really work? And I, um, you can find some research that says it, that they do, and you can find a lot of research that says that they don't. I think it's also interesting that the company we've been talking about never did use incentives but hit nearly 100% participation on the annual biometric screenings. They hit that number year after year. They do some minor uh, prizes and giveaways to create some awareness that it's that time of year again, but it, it, it would not really qualify as what you would, what you would say as far as an incentive, um, a, a carrot stick kind of approach. They're spending a very small amount of money um, proportion-wise on the prizes and giveaways. And really, they've been relying more on these other levers that we're talking about, like the story videos, 
like the uh, just the um, local leadership and champions, all, as well as other things such as uh, making it visual. There's a lot of posters and rotating graphics that we run. Um, visual is such a powerful form. And I know a lot of our listeners are vice presidents of human resources and come from more of a financial background. And so our tendency often is to put some numbers in front of people or put some bullet points on a PowerPoint slide. But true visual, whether that's in video form or in uh, just a nice graphic form, that is more likely to connect to people's guts and their hearts and be more memorable. I think that's right. And I, I think there are still, you know, it, it, sometimes it, sometimes we get a little chuckle when we bring up posters as a potential um, communication vehicle, but there truly are still a lot of uh, work environments where posters are appropriate. And if done, vi- you know, in, in short bites of information and a very visual format can be can be really effective to promote events, to to get small bites of information across, to make people aware of particular resources. There there are a lot of good uses um, for that vehicle. And and if uh, you know if posters aren't a good um, uh, a good vehicle for a particular work environment, we've we've seen a lot of companies do some some great visual things with e cards, with you know uh, graphic emails. To push out to employees. Um, so I think there are opportunities beyond maybe what employers traditionally think of to get a highly visual short bite of information out to people. The last example of a connecting initiative or um, component would be gamification, whether that's a high-tech form of gamification. And, and later on in the series of uh, workforce health engagement, we'll look at some of that. But in, the, in this company, it was actually just more low-tech uh, approach to gamification. Uh, gamification is all about using game-inspired tactics to engage people. And one of the most basic forms of that is just is just finding some some way to inject some fun or competition into the uh, event uh, or program. And guys tend to like competition, but even uh, other employees who may not be into competitive still like team events because of the social aspect of that. And that was a big deal um, over the years, year after year, in the ongoing support of of the um, biometric screenings and participation in getting the screenings and then act taking action based on what your you, your personal report was from the screenings. Right, right. Yeah, I know this is a particular area of gamification is a particular area of interest um, for you. And I, I, I'd actually like to see more companies using that approach to make, um, you know, some of the new behaviors and some of the involvement in programs more interesting and more engaging. Well, the fifth C is the one that most people would want to start with, which is clarity. And that's all about the what. What is the specific program, change, or event? What do you want me to do? Where are we going? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Back um, more years than I want to admit to when I started in the communications business, I had uh, a boss who told me his best advice for communicating effectively was forget the 50 cent forget the 50 cent words, make it clear. 
Um, and I've been trying to do that ever since. I think, um, you know, I think it's important to use language that people understand and not not to particularly try to talk above them. So so really make it plain English, even if you have to break a few uh, grammar rules to do it. And equally important, do things in short, digestible bites. Uh, nobody has you know, the tolerance for big, long articles anymore, if they ever did, or big, long videos. So, you know, really trying to make it clean and compete with the kinds of communications they see out there on the web and in the world every day that really breaks things down. Um, another one I think, Jesse, you and I do a lot is, is repetition, you know, trying to repeat the same uh, important messages over and over and over again in lots of different ways in lots of different places. Yeah, and providing that that the sort of short bites and the repetition works together, one, because people can get their head around it easier and remember it better, but also it creates a sense of consistency because you're hearing the same thing uh, in different ways over time. And there was a a great quote that Bob Sutton, who wrote the book Scaling Up Excellence, in, in their research discovered that once is not enough and one is not enough, that when you are scaling uh, something across an organization, you need to say it multiple times. So once is not enough. And you need to say it in multiple types of ways and in different types of media. So one format is not enough. So when you combine that together, the, the repetition and the, different, and the shortness, um, it creates it, the sense of consistency. Yeah, also along the lines of consistency, I know we run into this a lot. Uh, we mentioned earlier that your your people are going to be bombarded by wellness messages, not just from the company, but, you know, from the outside world, too. And um, trying to make sure you're helping them sort through the conflicting and confusing messages. You know, for example, a, a really common one is, uh, is red wine good for you or is it not good for you? Should you have a glass every day or should you drink no alcohol? Uh, same with carbs. Should you have whole grain breads and pastas or should you stay away from all carbs? So, uh, you know, it's hard to know what to think sometimes. Even we have, you know, we have a few laughs about that. It, it's hard to know what to think, but you have to kind of stick, take a stand on on certain wellness issues and help your people, you know, f- figure out a common sense approach. And one thing that a lot of large companies get into where they are h- hiring different vendors to provide different components of their overall wellness and health care programs. And it, what starts to happen over time is that those vendors are start to send materials directly to your employees. And before long, employees are just bombarded with all sorts of different types of messages, many of them in conflict. I mean, you get a, a, an employee that in a very short period of time will get something that says, drink some red wine every day, and then another that's basically a, a sort of a no tolerance to alcohol kind of message. So it is good if you've got multiple vendors that um, one every now and then you, you want to have some kind of audit of your vendor communications and just evaluate, uh, is, is, is it okay or do we need to put a stop to some of this? And at the very least, sh- shouldn't we be making sure that our brand is consistent across all of those? Right. That's right. And then the sixth and final C is coaching, which is all about support. Are you fully supporting me? Are you helping me advance toward my goals? And if the employee doesn't feel that you're actually supporting, then it just comes across that you're telling employees what to do or you're whining about healthcare costs or whatever your message is, but not really equipping them to do anything about it and especially to put their own best interests first. 
Yeah, it can get a little preachy if all you do is push out communications. Um, and, you know, I think one of the one of the ways you can make sure you're you are actually supporting people and, and they know that you're supporting them is to sponsor local events. And, you know, that's easier than ever to do. There are um, many um many walking events and running events and general health events in most areas of the country. So um, having a point person, a, a champion, a, a, as we might call them, um, sort of organize, getting people a team from the company to participate or just an individual group of people who want to participate and then publicizing that um, and really creating a sense of community around wellness and really um, starting to make it feel like this is part of what we do at the company. We do this together at the company. We don't just get an email and a newsletter once in a while. And this is where you can easily get lots of conflicting things going on because the, the coaching and support often is maybe different companies providing different types of coaching and support. Maybe you've got a disease management vendor. Maybe you've got a care coordination vendor and a wellness vendor, um, a telemedicine vendor, uh, a, a dial-a-nurse kind of program. And so if you can take the if you can invest the effort up front and create uh, some consistent messaging and branding across all of those, it helps employees see how it all fits together as opposed to just being bombarded with different silos. Yeah, I think that's really important. So it's integrated messaging and not as opposed to a program of the day. And we, we just uh, recently have been helping a, a large manufacturer that is promoting both some company programming as well as some local events. And their, the brand that we helped them come up with encompasses both of those. And what's nice is that comes across to employees as, hey, we care about you, we care about the community that you're in, and this isn't just about the company um, worrying about uh, is there enough utilization of the stuff that we provide. But here are all the things that are available to help you meet your health goals that are healthy for you and are good for you. And let's let's share and let's participate and let's go support these things out in the community too. Yeah, that's right. And similarly, we often not only promote uh, internal company resources, but, but good external resources. There are so many that are out there on the web, for example. So helping people sort through all the millions of things they, they could find out there and find some good, credible uh, resources to take advantage of. And of course, it's always good if the company can support um, or some of those local events uh, with just participating in them and promoting them, but maybe financially supporting them, sponsoring them. And in, in, in some cases, we've helped clients create local events, actually put them on if there, if there were none that, that existed, such as a there's an annual 5K that one of our clients helps put on in, in one of their geographies every year. So now part of the coaching and support, we did talk about making it personal earlier, but when you have the different types of programs that you're offering, if you if you can make the it personal who the specific people involved in providing those and help employees get to know them as people as opposed to just here's some program. And so in the company that we've been talking about that we've worked with for the last several years, they they have things like a, a quarterly newsletter 
And uh, in the articles that are in those in the newsletter, we will usually quote and even photograph several of the coaches. Actually, so the so employees over time they get to see the the names and faces and hear advice from uh, from all these different coaches. And then when we have at events at their local uh, on-site facilities, let's say their annual biometric screenings, the promotional materials that that are um, previewing that event, make, getting creating awareness of, of that event, will feature the local health coaches and champions, and so it helps to make them sort of rock stars. That we are, all these people are getting some face time, and we're boosting their reputation and their credibility. So those are the six C's of workforce health engagement. Context, credibility, caring, connecting, clarity, and coaching. And over time, those six C's work together to create what we call the big C, which is the culture of health. And a culture of health has really become a buzz term, a buzzword uh, today, but that doesn't that doesn't uh, detract from its importance. In fact, uh, the 2013 Aon Hewitt survey that we mentioned earlier basically said that this was that the a culture of health is the mother of all influencers. The leaders, company leaders who participated in the 2013 Aon Hewitt survey said that 83% of them said that workplace culture is the most or the, at least a moderate influence for changing and sustaining employee health and behavior. It was the it's the number one driver. So if your organization has a culture of health, you're more likely to attract healthy and productive employees in the first place. Your employees will trust that management truly cares about them as individuals, and they will make smarter decisions regarding lifestyle and healthcare consumption. So that achieving that goal of, of having a true culture of health, it's a big deal. And it's a, it's a great sign that you have been successful in your workforce health engagement. That's right. So the the six C's really roll up together to create the one big C that we're all shooting for, which is really a, a culture of health. Terry Sherwood, my friend and longtime colleague, thanks for joining us on Workforce Health Engagement. Thanks for having me. It was great. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Check out our brand new series on this topic called Workforce Health Engagement. If you or other leaders in your organization want the latest trends in integrating strategies to improve your employees' health and productivity, and to protect your bottom line, you can find Workforce Health Engagement in iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. Next time on Engaging Leader, we'll talk about how we can radically improve our presentations. We'll be talking to author, speaker, and communication coach Carmine Gallo about his new book, Talk Like Ted, The Nine Public Speaking Secrets of the World's Top Minds. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, JJ Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.